welcome to Impacting Jamaica, where we shine the spotlight on the many but often ignored positive happenings, activities, projects and investments at every level across every sector to inspire, motivate and excite people everywhere. Impacting Jamaica is powered by the Philip and Christine Gore Family Foundation, the Jamaica Public Service Company, Manpower and Maintenance Services Limited, Red Stripe, Kyramed and Proven Investments Limited. Welcome to Impacting Jamaica. I'm Tamika Gordon. The programs of the Jamaica Social Investment Fund benefit roughly 2 million Jamaicans, whether directly or indirectly. Today, we speak with JCF Managing Director, Mr. Omar Sweeney, about the achievements of some of these programs. Welcome, Mr. Sweeney. In fact, welcome back to Impacting Jamaica. You're an interesting man doing interesting work. So we, we had to speak to you twice. <laughs> Thank you, and thanks again for the invitation. No problem. We're always happy to talk about, you know, developments in Jamaica and what's happening in our country in terms of national growth and development. Um, today, we want to look at the Basic Needs Trust Fund. I, it's, it, it's in its 10th um, staging or 10th cycle. And um, the program is designed to reduce poverty in low income and vulnerable communities. That's right, right, Mr. Sweeney? Absolutely, that's correct. All right, so it's look, it looks at um, improving access to drainage, water, sanitation, quality education and training, improving the um, livelihoods and human resource development and training. And th these are all important um, facets of, of developing any community. And so I'm very interested and I'm sure our listeners are quite interested in hearing, you know, what are some of the successes under the program so far. So in a nutshell, um, what is JCF hoping to do in these communities under the Basic Needs Trust Fund? All right, so I, I will start with a little bit of context right. uh, because the Basic Needs Trust Fund is actually one of my favorite portfolios in JCF. We manage a number financial portfolios from our international funding partners. And the BNTF, as we know it, it's really started out funded through the Canadian government and mo the modality for implementation was through the Caribbean Development Bank. Uh, so the contributors were the Canadian government as well as 10 English speaking countries of the Caribbean. Uh, the governments of those companies would all pool our resources together and into what was known as a social development fund. And then the, the resources would be redistributed across the Caribbean. Ob obviously, uh, Jamaica being one of the larger English-speaking countries, the largest actually, mm -hmm. uh, we, um, in terms of population, we would have gotten a lion's share of the resources. Typically our resources from that fund is 40 to 50% of the actual total fund. So. Uh, we have a big um, portion of that fund that we use to implement our rural development portfolio in particular. Okay. And all the things you mentioned before, waters, access roads, schools, health clinics, uh, those are the things that we try to provide with the BNTF portfolio, in particular in the rural parishes across Jamaica. And it's, it's important work because we know that the preponderance of poverty across the island is in rural areas. So we make that connection and 
what we tried to do uh, initially when the program started, and to give you an idea, Jamaica did not enter the BNTF until BNTF 5. Right. It was about 2004, 2005. And so when we entered the program at that time, we were focused in particular in access issues, um, access to education, access to health, access to portable water. Those were the types of interventions we were making across the island. And they were tremendous. I mean, they, 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 they worked tremendously in improving the infrastructure and the social conditions in communities like Troy, in Trelawney, um, Manchester, in, in Manchester, uh, South Manchester, St. Mary, you know, areas that were on the poverty map as rated as the poorest of the poor um, communities across Jamaica. That's where we were targeting for these resources. And so we were able to develop and redevelop, rehabilitate water supply systems uh, in one of the cycles that was our major focus. Uh, as we got into BNTX 6 and 7, we had a strong focus in education. Close to half of the resources went into education. Um, more classrooms, playgrounds, uh, curriculum development for, for basic and early childhood institutions. We did a number of um, physical infrastructure for early childhood institutions, making sure that they could be registered and meet the certification standards of the Early Childhood Commission. Uh, primary schools in terms of uh, rehabilitation in some respects, but also ensuring that the student to teacher ratio was in line with the Ministry of Education policy. Okay, uh, we're uh, going to get into all of that, Mr. Sweeney. Right. And it's interesting that you, you touched on um, the names of the, you mentioned the names of um, some communities because that's exactly what my other question um, is what are some of these communities that JCF has been working in under this particular program? And what are some of the achievements to date? So for instance, you mentioned South Manchester and you were speaking about water. Yes. Interestingly, I'm, I live in Manchester and so I'm aware of all the, the issues of the water woes of, of the South Manchester belt. So let's begin with that because in our proximity, I'm close to that issue, I'm close to that issue. So um, can you share with me what, what you have been doing in that particular community and then we can speak about some others? I mean, I mean I, I'm not sure where in Manchester you're from, but uh, we've done so much work in areas like Campbell's Castle. Uh, I, when, I, when I think of the Manchester communities uh, in, in Mother Floor, um, Pike, Big Woods, uh, which are more on the Christiana side, of Manchester. Uh, going into Trelawney, we were in Warsop and Wyofence and Stettin and, you know, these are all communities that are in deep rural Jamaica. Uh, the, 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 the problem with water in these communities is that the elevation of Manchester in particular mm -hmm. and areas of Trelawney make it difficult because the water always has to be pumped up. And when you have electromechanical water supply systems, uh, they're hard to maintain, they're expensive to maintain, and typically the residents there end up not getting the benefit. Um, we see similar situations in Portland, in, in the Rio Grande Valley, um, Bybrook, Bellevue, 
uh, we, we see that type of situation where they live on the higher elevations in Hagley Gap in St. Thomas, you know, and what you have to do is come up with solutions where you can build infrastructure that would capture the water at the spring and then distribute it via gravity downward. And so when you are, say, I'm sorry, when you say build infrastructure, give me an idea of exactly what you do. Well, what we do is in the case of water supply, we would, you know, every every rural community, they know where the spring is. Eh? Mm -hmm. And uh, many of them go to the spring to catch water. And so what we do is build a dam that would capture the, 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 the water in the spring. And then we would build a treatment facility for the water, like a chlorination chamber. Mm -hmm. And then we would put in the necessary pipes to bring that water now down the slope via gravity uh, and distribute it in the community. Like a standpipe? No, 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 into the homes. Oh, into the homes. Oh, so they don't have to go to various no. um, spots in the community to fetch the water. It's actually piped to their homes. Yes, we know in modern Jamaica, this is what we're trying to get away from. And uh, there may be a standpipe in the community, but that is for community purpose. I mean, the, the intention we do is to um, bring it into the community of themselves. So actually, as we speak today, the NWC is in a community named Windsor in Portland this morning, doing the inspections on what we've done there. We're working with the Maroon Council up there to provide water supply into the Windsor community. And so what's gonna happen there now is that the Maroon Council now will manage and maintain that water supply system via flat rate charges to their beneficiaries. And they have, so the same thing I just said, they would have captured the water in the spring, it's distributed, and then the persons will pay a flat rate to receive the water in their homes. Interesting. You know? So many homes where they're built ready to receive water supply, but there's no water. And right. NWC to make the capital investment up there would have been a challenge. And so the purpose of the Basic Needs Trust Fund now is to fill the gap where the government um, agency would not make, a, could not, would not, anything you want to call it, make the investment. Uh, the Basic Needs Trust Fund now, and what JSIP does now is fill that gap through the resources that we receive. Under the fund. The fund, and so what I said, as I said, it's happening today. That's what we've been replicating in parishes across the island when it comes to water supply. Interesting. Um, does the JCF does JCF have any activities for drainage in flood-prone areas, especially given the impact of climate change and recent weather events? What have what has JCF done in um, any such community? Well, uh, that's an excellent question, and. Um, when we do access roads, for instance, drainage is a big part of it, especially when we go into farm, farming communities, because whenever climate change events, which are now more intense and more frequent, mm -hmm. occur, the farmers' fields can be flooded out and their livelihood is affected, and a lot of it is because of lack of proper drainage. And so we have to do culverts and, and you know, huge drains and big drainage infrastructure Every single, every single place we go, um, we, we use drainage and climate resilience as a part of our policy in developing the infrastructure. So we don't, we don't in particular uh, carry out 
we just go into do a drainage project, it's integrated in whatever infrastructure we're building. Sometimes it's a school, uh, we have to upgrade the drainage to make sure the school is not flooded out. Or if it is, like I said, a road, uh, they are sometimes not, we haven't done very many in the last decade or so, but we used to do a thing called river training. Right. And river training is where we use gabion baskets, which are the stones in the mesh, to keep the river on the course so that when the storm comes, the river doesn't break it bank and flood people out. But that's something that we have not really had many requests for that. What we've had more of is to improve the drainage along the roads and access roads in communities. So we've been doing that as well uh, under the BNTF. Interesting, thank you. Uh, you touched on the, the impact to livelihood in terms of the farmers in a weather event when their farms are, um, are flooded out. Um, what are some of the initiatives under the program that um, JCF has been spearheading to enhance livelihoods in some of these communities? So, you know, what has happened over the years is that as we work through the access issues in communities, there's been a greater call for livelihoods and, and many other residents we encounter. Basically, what they have been saying to us is that, you know, we can help ourselves just give us a way to sustain our livelihoods, you know, not right. just a, not just a job while the project is here. We want something that when you leave here, you know, we can sustain ourselves. And so we put a increased focus in that area of livelihoods. So typically when we do farm roads, it is to improve their livelihoods from the point of view of making sure that Higglers are the persons who would buy produce, would come into the community, making sure that when you have to transport your goods out of the community, that it's not an expensive cost because of the road condition. Or the, if you say farming tomatoes, watermelon, anything like that, that is not bruised up by the time it gets to the market, so you get a lower price. So those were the reasons to ensure that they could maximize their yield from the farming products. But in so, so that, that, that exists, and that's, that's true for rural life. But we've put, gone a little bit further because what we want to do is a little bit more value added. And so under the program, we have also introduced new technology, greenhouse technology, uh, where, or I call them shaded house technology, where they can keep their crops longer and also achieve a greater yield. We've added specific training opportunities with respect to new technology for farming, as well as business literacy. Let's call it that, you know, how you really not just be a farmer, but you're a business person. And so these are the things that would allow them to see the opportunities that are around them and be able to maximize on those business opportunities. And so what we find is that they know understand a little bit more around not just selling in the market you know selling wholesale to people who supply um, hotels or can you speak a little bit um a little more specifically in terms of um what 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 some of those training programs and initiatives are 
um, you, you speak about um, assisting farmers to move from just the mentality of thinking I'm a farmer to actually being a businessman. Can you right. tell me exactly, you know, some of these communities that you would have gone into and what, what, were, what are some of those concrete initiatives? You know, just so that people can relate to say, oh, I remember hearing about that. Oh, I saw people that, oh, that was Jasif. Can you share some of, some of those um, concrete examples? Well, yes. Uh, for example, the, the, the shadows clusters, we, use, we used a modality uh, for, for you shifting. I'm shifting a little bit away from BNTF to overall JSIF now because we also cross-fertilize, if you will, in JSIF. Um, because to the beneficiaries, they don't, they don't necessarily look at us as ready or BNTF. You know, they look at us as JSIF. Right. And so, so what we do first is we cluster the farming groups, the farmers groups. So when I say cluster, we, we bring them into groups of 15, 20 enterprises where they can support each other. And then after we cluster them, we have training and discussions around how you operate as a conglomerate, how you operate together. I mean, you're individual, but you're together. And so they help each other to prepare the, the infrastructure, they help each other to maintain the infrastructure. And when the purveyors or the persons who buy come, they, they um, purchase in bulk. You know, they're not just purchasing from me and not you. You know, they purchase in bulk because the, the group stands together as a unit. And so we've done this in Wattown, in Blue Mountain, in, in the Blue Mountain in Manchester, uh, in, 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 Monique in St. Anne. So a number of, a number of um, we have about eight sites where more than 164 shade houses exist. Uh, and this is what the farmers are doing, working together. And, and, and in, in, this, in this particular project, they're, they're using mined out bauxite land. So we work with the Jamaica Bauxite Institute where they would have created cavities in the soil where they, 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 they catch water and use solar pumps to pump the water to feed the farms. And so they have a business model that's been sustained close to 10 years now where they are doing that. And an important thing about operating now is that they also employ people. So you're able in these rural areas to, to have been to business enterprises that are employing people, transferring the knowledge to younger persons because students in the area also come there as a part of their curriculum to learn what is happening there, what is happening around them. So they, when they become adults, can choose to, to do that sort of, or pursue that sort of livelihood. And, and carry so, on the knowledge that has been shared. Right, so that's what I mean when I say um, really a more intense focus on sustainable livelihood. Because sustainable livelihood means you also want to transfer knowledge, share it, and people can pursue it because one of the things we do in rural development is we want people to earn where they live, right? One, one of the problems, because there's a whole urban agenda, which we won't touch on today, but the, the, the point of the, the, the thing is to prevent rural to urban drift. Um, traditionally in Jamaica, what happens is people leave the rural areas and come to the urban areas to try and earn a better living. And what we're trying to do is to make it so that they can earn their living where they live and they can build their communities and build the quality of life in the community. But to do that, you have to ensure the schools are good, the clinics are good, you have good water supply, and you have a way to earn a good living. 
that's what the urban agenda is something that we're going to have to speak on in another episode of impacting jamaica but right now we are taking a break to hear from our sponsors grace has been part of some special moments over the years helping to make them well more memorable even when they're a little bit unexpected and with 100 years of great taste behind us you can be sure we'll be making even more moments for a hundred years to come grace taste that moves you Searching for a one-stop solution to all your facilities maintenance needs? Visit Manpower Maintenance Services Sales and Distribution Center. We stock a wide range of COVID-19 washroom cleaning and other supplies, gardening tools, chemicals, and more. Our experts are always ready to give you the best advice. Manpower Maintenance Services Sales and Distribution Center, 14 Collins Green Avenue, Kingston, Freeport Commercial Center, Montego Bay, and 33 Ward Avenue, Mandeville. Visit or call us today, 876-920-47215. Come back. And a pinky this time. Akeisha. Keisha. Just like me tell Pinky. Give GPS your number and then we'll send your text with them things here. So you can't stop, knock my door. What you mean? DM or call JPS and tell them to add your phone number to your account and you will know everything all the time. You're not for ask. Send your current contact information and always be in the know. Visit jpsco.com for more info. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Omar Sweeney, Managing Director of JSIF, and we're talking about enhancing the livelihoods, enhancing the, the development of our nation, and enhancing national growth. And he is sharing with me some of the successes under the Basic Needs Trust Fund. Thank you again, Mr. Sweeney. So um, you, you mentioned just now that the, there's an urban agenda that... Um, that we'll see a lot more work from JCF, but right now we're concentrating on getting people big, um, to, to stay where they are and being able to make a living from where they are and empowering them by putting in the infrastructure. So we can continue um, on in that vein, looking at some of the challenges that JCF has experienced, because I'm sure, you know, the nature of things, something Whatever can go wrong will go wrong. How has JSIF, um, what, have, what have been some of the challenges that you have encountered and how has JSIF circumvented these um, issues within well, this program? I, I think you're right. I mean, oftentimes we don't talk about the challenges. And uh, the truth is that when you work in community situations, it means that you work with people, right? Exactly. Uh, when you work with people and you're trying to even improve their situation, you should never take for granted that everybody wants what you're talking about to happen. And so there is an element of persuasion because what happens is that you do have, whatever the situation is you may see, uh, there are persons there who are benefiting from it. And so, so of, of the situation being as it is, there are people who are being affected negatively by it, but there are people who are benefiting from it. And so you will always have a conflict between the people who are benefiting, understanding that, you know, it is still to their benefit for everybody to do better. And so sometimes 
you can only work at the speed that the process can allow you to work, you know, and that process means getting the complete buy-in so that the project itself or the intervention is not sabotaged or, or, or destroyed in a short period of time. And so, you know, working with the communities and, and getting them to build the social capital where we know the project can sustain is a, is a significant challenge for us. And it is something that I like to refer to them as the experts at JSIF, you know, the people who are on the ground every day having community meetings and um, looking at the social dynamic that operates in the community and being able to program the best possible intervention that can be sustained. That's that's a big part of our work. And, you know, what I say to my staff is that um, if it was simply as if it was as simple as just writing a check and getting it done, then none of us would work here. Right. So, without calling, without referencing any particular community, because I'm I'm thinking you may not want to do that. Can you right. share an example of of stakeholders resisting and how JCF was able to navigate that? Well, well, um, we've had cases where where you may have persons who were providing informal, it can be informal water, it can be informal electricity, because we also work in electricity regularization. Right. And, and what happens is that there's an informal system when you go there, and somebody is charging the residents for the utility that really belongs to the government. And then know that the government is there to say, we're going to put in the right infrastructure and there will be a flat rate system and there will be a community group that is going to govern it. And the, all monies will go to that community group. Um, and, 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 then the, and then again, that's where it starts. That's where the conversation starts, you know. The pushback that you, that you encounter, the yes. JC staff now has to go in to use the mechanisms available to them to persuade these individuals to come on board. Yes, to come on board. And we have to go through various means. You have to know who they are, what is really their concern. And it, it, does have, it, it can be a situation where, where a resource that the community needs is on somebody's private property. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so now you say, well, it's on my property and it, I, I, have a, I have a right to it. I know that the government is here. Um, they resist or they, they want to understand better how they're going to be compensated for giving this up for the community use or or you even have to convince them that it is. Like I, like when I say a spring, you can have a spring that is on somebody's private property. But mm. if you can't get access to that spring, it means, you know, 400, 500 residents will not be able to have access to water, you know. And so and you, a spring is not something you can take up and move. You know, it is where it is. And so... So things like that is, you know, that's a lot of what we do in terms of, so it, it's not always, you know, when you see a handing over and people turning on water, it's not always... Um, PG, <laughs> in the process. You don't always just get there and everybody sees the yes. obvious benefit and, 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 and everybody lines up. I mean, that I would say that happens in most cases, but you do have um, some projects that, you know, it's a, it's a battle of the wills, you know, and we are very resolved at JSIF. I mean, I, 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 I'm very resolved and I, I know my team is very resolved that um, the people have to benefit, you know, the, the people have to benefit. And our job is to really turn financial resources into benefits. 
uh, for the vulnerable and the poor. And so we're very resolved about that. And even though, I mean, if you think about it, people are not in these situations because the problem was simple to solve. I mean, if it was simple to solve, it would have been solved. And so, so we go into some difficult situations and we are very resolved about coming to the solution and, and working towards the solution. And, and the truth is a lot of our success has come uh, mostly because the community groups have walked hand in hand with us. I mean, that's, that, that's essential. That's and very good. So, and, and it I, brings me to my other question. When the average Jamaican hears about these projects and the initiatives of government, the tendency is to feel that it doesn't affect them. You know, oh yes, Jamaica get more money. Yes, another grant has been given, but it now benefit we. So if they're not particularly from one of these communities and are able to see the work on the ground, they may think, oh, I just so, you know, and not feel that it's a part of, of, of what's going to make the national fabric better. What would you say to such a person, you know, the average Jamaican to let him feel that, okay, this is something that will ultimately benefit all of us? Well, you know, um, you started the program by speaking about the, our beneficiaries, direct and indirect, being mm -hmm. our two million Jamaicans. And we calculate that by way of saying you're, they are direct beneficiaries. So a direct beneficiary is someone who got a benefit from the project. They are a child in a classroom, right? They are a patient at the clinic. They are a household resident who has water in their home. Those are direct beneficiaries. The indirect beneficiaries would be the persons who are the family, okay? So if a child goes to a brand new school that has been created by government, Joseph, and they're in a state-of-the-art classroom with state-of-the-art teacher and furniture and book, that child benefits. But if that child has three brothers and sisters and a parent, those five people indirectly benefit by knowing that their daughter, their sister, their brother goes to a state-of-the-art institution. That's how they benefit because, because ultimately if that person turns out to be a doctor or a lawyer or something, then, then it's to the benefit of the family, you understand? And so it's fivefold sometimes if you if you work on it that if you look on it that way. And it's also from the point of view that you know you may have many relatives across the island that that you know they have a good clinic or a good school or something to go to, and you don't think of it immediately. You may just think that okay, Jason get some money. But it is, you know, persons who you maybe not even know you're related to who are benefiting from, from these types of initiatives. And some I know some persons will say, well, government's supposed to do that, we pay tax. Right. And yes, government is supposed to do it and we pay tax. And this is just to say that is what the government is doing. Um, the government is raising the money and providing these benefits to persons. And so this is why I, I come back to my resolve and say that um, to the extent that persons can line up and provide and support these types of projects, it makes our work easier and it makes more people benefit. You, you Very interesting. You mentioned that the Basic Needs Trust is one of your favorite programs. And yeah. so I'd like to touch finally on the what you would categorize as the greatest achievement under the program thus far. What, have you, what are you most proud of? Well, in, in general, I'm proud of the program. Um, one of the greatest things about this program is that 
it's a regional program. And so I said before that the 10 countries that are involved in the program, bar, they call them BMCs, barring member countries, uh, we, share, we share technology and a lot of the things that we've done here in Jamaica have been adapted across the region. And so I think to the extent that the program also provides intellectual knowledge and methods that are now being used in Grenada, St. Vincent, uh, Monsterat, St. Lucia, to name a few, um, is, is, is tremendous. Uh, we were able to, because, I mean, certainly we have the diversity of projects here in Jamaica that, that serve as a tool uh, for the BNTF. More locally and closer to home, in our BNTF 7 and 8 program, we put a specific focus on bringing schools off the shift system. You know, there were schools in Old Harbor, Mandeville, Ocherios, Discover Bay, primary schools that were on the double, and one school was on a triple shift system, okay? And so you can just imagine the thousands of children that were not getting anything near the contact hours of instruction from teachers simply because of the volume of students that needed to go to the school. And the BNTF program was able to put in dozens of classrooms that would allow these schools to come off the shift system and allow the children to have a full day of school and also to reach home at a reasonable hour, as they said before dark. You know, and I, I, I like the fact that the program was able to do that without borrowing a single dollar. These are all grant resources and they don't have to be paid back. So it's social investment that builds social capital for the greater good of the youth and the development of the country. And so that's why I like the program because it is really artfully designed where resources can be brought to bear to make investments in things that don't give you an immediate return on investment, but you know that if you make those investments, it should redound to the benefit of the country. And that's what really makes it um, close to my heart in terms of you know a good way to provide this type of investment. And on that note, we can say this was indeed an interesting episode of Impacting Jamaica. Mr. Sweeney, on behalf of Jamaicans everywhere, Jamaicans at home and in the diaspora, we want to thank you for the hard work that you continue to do and that your team continues to do. Thank you so much for sharing the highlights of the Basic Needs Trust with us here on Impacting Jamaica. And of course, we're going to be calling on you another time and maybe another time after that to share some more good news of JCF's work. Thank you everyone for joining us. This has been Impacting Jamaica. I am Tamika Gordon. Impacting Jamaica is powered by the Philip and Christine Gore Family Foundation, Manpower and Maintenance Services Limited, the Jamaica Public Service Company, Red Stripe, Kyramed, and Proven Investments Limited. If you or anyone you know is involved with projects and activities that excite, motivate, and encourage, send us an email to impactingjamaica at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Do join us again for another in the series on Google Podcast, Audible, Spotify, Podcast Addict, and Stitcher. You can also visit us at impactingjamaica.com.